have a Q&A discussion. Uh, just a few words about bringing the practice back home. Really a few, because you've all been practicing for a while, some of you for quite a while. There will also, <clears throat> either you've received it or you will, a handout, uh, some hints as to bringing the practice back home. Uh, in a nutshell, keep your sitting practice strong. Don't let the message of daily life be used to undercut the sitting. That isn't what's being said here. Uh, sitting has a very precious and special place. Certain things can accomplish, be accomplished uh, when you just have nothing else to do but to just be with yourself as you are. I don't think it's a luxury item. I think in, it's never been, but the way things are now so hectic and fast and so forth, uh, to set aside a bit of time each day to just be with yourself and to see what's happening, uh, I think is a imperative, very important for us. But, you know, it's up to you. And then when you're not doing a sitting practice, of course, try to come to retreats when you can. Uh, each of us has a different life situation. You know yours. Uh, you work with it. Uh, but for all of us, most of our life will be just a normal day. Family, work, relationship, uh, school, you know, whatever it is. Um, typically, we don't value that as being on the same level as a Dharma practice as all the statues are of the Buddha sitting. You don't see him vacuuming or making love. <laughs> so to get that message, it's very hard to hammer that through. But we sincerely mean it. It's a way of living. It isn't just an isolated little technique to get calm. Uh, so try to bring full attention to whatever you do in life, to learn from it, uh, to see if the attention and the learning can be in the service of letting go of what needs to be let go of, uh, ways of speaking and acting that seem to be harmful for you, for other people. Uh, and that makes room for ways of thinking and speaking and living, acting, that are beneficial. Uh, self-knowing, a lot of self-knowing is that, is getting to see, if you want to put it in technical terms, seeing the kalesas at work. The tendency of the mind to always want. The tendency of the mind to be aversive, angry, negative. The tendency of the mind to be confused, unclear. And then uh, what grows out of attention to those qualities, which all humans have, you haven't been singled out, um, the, the wanting gets replaced more by generosity and, and uh, contentment, and the aversion can become compassion and love, caring. And the confused mind, the ignorant mind, can become clear and see things more accurately. When you start seeing things more accurately, everything becomes easier. It's like you have uh, glasses that work before you didn't know that you needed a new prescription. And when you get a new one, it's, the, the world changes because your seeing changes. Um, <clears throat> just one afterthought, and then I'd like to start with the questions. We've um, emphasized looking directly into the mind, and the response has been one of uh, great surprise, as if we've 
somehow went deep into the Himalayas and came back with an esoteric teaching that has been hidden and only for the select few, the chosen few, us. Uh, I can't think of anything more basic. All that we're do- doing is framing it. And here's why. And then it's for you to, I'm not saying this to criticize any of us. It's more to in- inquire and see if, is any, if it's relevant. Independently, Corrado and I have discovered that people can be practicing for quite a long time, years, and not have a whole lot of experience to really face, to meet, to hold their ground with, to see into and to go beyond uh, very, very difficult mind states like fear, loneliness, and so forth. Um, it's very easy to, there's sort of uh, very refined ways of keeping that to a minimum. Of course, you can't keep it out of your life. We all know that. But I mean to really squarely practice with it. It's not just, I noticed it. That's a very common word now I notice in Cambridge. Uh, sort of, the lingo gets picked up. It's in style now. I, oh yeah, I was with it and I noticed it. I, I find that I have to press and say, well, what do you mean you're with it? What does that mean? What is noticing it like, oh, I noticed that Corrado has his hand on his whatever. Uh, <laughs> he's very pensive. Uh, get it? Pensa, pensive. Awful. W- worse than cemetery, okay. <laughs> um, let me use perhaps more dramatic language. Self-knowing is, a, a lot of it has to do, our, our practice of vipassana is widening our capacity to intimately and directly receive our own experience until we're not intimidated by anything that comes up in us where we have confidence that it's workable, that you actually, even if it may not be wanted, no one's saying it's, it's wonderful to feel fear or loneliness, but we have the confidence that it's workable because it's observable. But we have to learn how to do that. Learning how to live is something that has to be done. We have to enter into life and fail many times. But if we avoid it, uh, there was one, uh, I read in the Times some months ago, somebody who tried for some sport in the Olympic to make the Olympic team many, many times and kept falling, didn't make it, didn't make it. Finally, he picked a different sport and uh, he got accepted into, he made it the American Olympic team. And they said, how did it feel to, uh, to fail so many, to fall down so many times? And he said, and fail. And he said, oh, no, f- falling down isn't failing, it's refusing to get up. It's not getting up. So I hope we've made it clear, a lot of the learning has to do with unlearning, is seeing, unskillful ways of living. That's why we're here. Uh, it's a willingness uh, to expose ourselves in a naked, raw way to ourselves. That means it's, it's, not with any, it's not to think about it, analyze it, psychologize it, theorize about it, philosophize it. It's, by naked and raw, I mean just as it is. Uh, and that, uh, it's a somewhat dr- more dramatic way of putting it than being mindful of it. Remember, Mindfulness is is just a word, but what the word points to is seeing energy. When mindfulness is directed towards something, this is mindfulness. That's energy. It's a very subtle, refined energy. Let's call it seeing energy. It touches stuff, and something happens. 
And the more you use it, the more refined that seeing energy gets. And the more effective it is for you, more of a, a way of freeing yourself. Okay, uh, I'll start off with a question. Someone, if you have been written down, I hope I can... I have not looked at them. How does one watch the mind, thoughts, images, moods, as a witness without getting caught into more thought, i.e. analyzing, concluding, Uh, Okay, I'm just going to take that part first. When you uh, start analyzing, concluding thoughts about the thoughts, uh, those are just thoughts. You you take a look at that. They're not exempt. See, there's a part of the mind that it's the commentator, and mine is right over here all the time. And, for example, things get very quiet, and the commentator will come in and say, wonderful, this is what they're talking about. It's very quiet. (laughs) You know, uh, and then you have to, it would be if you would shut up, you know. Okay, so there's this commentator and saying, oh, all this thinking is happening. And I say, it, it's just thinking. It's, it's kind of saying, I'm exempt from scrutiny. You don't look at me. I'm on the bank of the river and I watch everything go by. There's no bank. It's all thought. So this whole question is, you look at the mind doing analyzing. It's thinking. You look at the mind, all these other, uh, in a way, synonyms for it. I seem to be getting some understanding, insight, question mark, through what seems to be ordinary thinking about the thoughts, moods, etc. I'm not sure I'm getting it, in quotes. Okay. Uh, There are different kinds of understanding. What we're more familiar with is thinking understanding. And you could say there's a kind of reflective insight that can be useful, yes, to begin with, uh, hmm, oh, you get something. You start to, for example, uh, you get, begin to understand that thoughts don't really have any power on their own. They have no intrinsic power. Unless we identify with them, then we imbue them with power. And as a, you can see that as an idea, and it's, uh, and it's satisfying. In Cambridge, where a lot of very uh, well-educated people live, one of the problems is people on that level, these kind of reflective insights, it's so satisfying to explain something on the level of thinking that we feel as if our job is done and it's just beginning. But it's useful. It's, but it has to, so there's reflective insight, definitely worthwhile. But then there's direct insight. And of course, that's the heart of what Vipassana means. And that comes from seeing. And that kind of insight is not about thinking at all. Very often, the clear seeing is the insight. It's not like you see clearly and that leads to insight, which is a kind of takes time and thinking. The see, it's so obvious, it's immediate. The seeing is the insight. You see right into and through something. But they're both useful. And more and more as the practice ripens, it's less thinking insight and more direct insight. What is the purpose of practicing meditation on the mind? Thoughts, emotions, moods, images. Whoa. How does one investigate, observe these without getting lost in them? Where does the insight come in? How does this practice improve our ability to act skillfully? Please say more about this. (laughs) These are good questions. um, What is the purpose of practicing meditation on the mind? 
hey, I'm going to give this person who asked the question uh, something to reflect on. Uh, our suffering largely comes out of the mind, comes out of an unexamined mind. And liberation happens in the same place that the suffering happens. It's not that awakening, liberation, whatever terms you like, enlightenment drops from a cloud. The very place, in other words, in the midst of the tears is where the liberation happens. If you don't want to look at your tears, you're not going to get free. There are other wonderful things that happen in practice. We do metta, we follow the breath, and sometimes through insight, tremendous clarity and joy, and we see how wonderful it is to be alive. But life includes, the Chinese have it right, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. We just want the joys. It can't be done. We've been trying to do it. It doesn't work. That's why we're all here. So it's not to dwell on your suffering, but when the 10,000 sorrows are here, that's what we practice with. And when the 10,000 joys are here, then, of course, be joyful. Um, so everything issues from the mind. Uh, Vipassana practice is a mind practice. Uh, certainly we become mindful of the body, uh, we become mindful of breathing and so forth, but uh, the key is if you just never deal with the mind, uh, you're a skeleton, you're a stick figure. This is about whole, real, breathing people. Uh, so that question, uh, that's what self-knowing is, self-knowledge, is, is getting to know yourself. And you'll see that, how can you do that without the mind, and you have to use the mind to do it. Okay, here are the... How does one investigate, observe these without getting lost in them? Uh, I don't have a pill, that, you know, the not getting lost pill. Uh, you do get lost, and then when you see it, you wake up. And little by little, you start valuing those moments of waking up. We've had a lot more practice analyzing, thinking, psychologizing, fantasizing, making up a future, dwelling in the past even conceptualizing the present so it's, it's no longer fresh. You start to see that. It, seeing is, you're learning about yourself. These are the kinds of things you see. That's why the quality of seeing is so crucial. Uh, the art of pure observation, it's an art. And it's, it's like the old man mad about drawing, the Japanese hokusai. Uh, it's you do it for the rest of your life. If someone says, well, I've perfected it, maybe they have, but I'd be a little careful. I think the art of living is something, even the Buddha, let's say, who had attained full enlightenment, he had to be very careful about skillful and unskillful because when you do some things, you can't always anticipate the consequences. And he had to deal with some pretty crazy people. And he changed when he saw what happened. In other words, there, all those sutras are responses to challenges. Uh, not all of them very pleasant. He didn't, it wasn't a systematic teaching. The suttas grew up out of just exchanges and stuff like this, which were, to some degree, we know about. I don't know how accurate, but that's what we have. Where does the insight come in? Uh, these are such big questions, but let me give you one example. One main meaning of insight meditation is insight into the impermanent nature of all forms. If you haven't heard that, uh, where have you been? I don't mean to insult you, but honestly, don't you hear that it's coming out of your ears, isn't it? That everything changes, everything's impermanent? Okay, I'm assuming that. I don't mean to be insulting. I'm just trying to... Um, a lot of what is insight 
is what we talk about over and over and over and over again. So, but let's take a practical example. Let's say fear, the energy of fear, not the concept fear, not thoughts about it, but uh, we use the word fear and then you know what it feels like, we all do. Okay. If the seeing energy, here's fear, is the seeing energy touches the fear, as the seeing energy becomes more and more stable, and that happens if you practice, and it doesn't happen if you don't practice, it's not mysterious. It's something you can learn. Okay. So the seeing energy touches fear. The energy, remember, not, no words in it. Or it can, can include words, but you're not taken in by the words. Uh, the seeing sees that energy. It touches it. Of course, something already starts to happen when seeing energy touches anything. Something starts to happen. But one of the things you begin to see is that fear really isn't, it's not solid. It's, it feels like it's a mountain sometimes, especially when we're terrified, the beginnings of a panic attack, and so forth. Uh, it's, it seems awfully solid, and it feels like it's going to be there forever, and that it's, you're totally helpless, and that you could die. It's that, that frightening. But if awareness can become so steady, unwavering, that it doesn't get pushed around by situations and conditions. No matter what happens, the mind becomes steadier than anything in front of it. Now, even if, let's say, our mind is not like that now, can you just even imagine uh, what a help that would be in life? If, uh, because life is full of challenges, full of uh, pain and suffering and disappointments and betrayals and loss and people die and we get sick. There's no way around this. But what we're working on is how we take what happens to us. That's where the freedom comes in. Now, as, the, uh, as we're able to, to hold our ground in a way so that the awareness is steady and can be with what's happening, you begin to see that fear really isn't a mountain. It isn't forever. It's a process. And it's in, in its own way cloud-like. It's ephemeral. But how to get to the point where the awareness is steady enough so that you can insightfully see the, the impermanent nature of fear. As you start to see that a few times, your relationship to fear changes forever. It can never be as menacing. When you understand what it is, it's still not. I'm not saying it's great to be afraid. Of course not. But it, more and more, you, it starts to become workable. Again, this grows out of practice. So learning how to live, one of the, a crucial part of learning how to live, is learning how to, how to take care of fear when, when fear comes. How does this improve our ability to act skillfully? I think this is all implicit. Uh, if you're behaving out of fear, out of confusion, out of greed, out of hatred, uh, out, of, out of ignorance, uh, what is the likelihood of those, of those actions being beneficial? Uh, we know what that produces. Take Just buy the news when you get home. Produce the world that looks this way, primarily dominated by ignorance. So, uh, okay. Any questions not from a note? Human qu people questions? Please. <laughs> yes. Good.
Too much thinking. See, I wish to, here I wish I was a Korean Zen person. They, they can get away with murder. Just ring a bell. Out. Oh, too much thinking. <laughs> you can't get away with that in North America or in Europe. It doesn't work. I have to give you a long, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but you would be better off if I said, too much thinking. Okay. Um, first of all, but no, but there is, in your question, it's too purposive. First of all, I'm glad that it's helped you. One of the things we're hoping that it accomplished, and I think for some of us it has, is many of you have done what we call choiceless awareness. And it's as if that is so totally different from this. It isn't. This is a major part of choiceless. A choiceless awareness, for those of you who never heard the term, is just no agenda. You just sit with or without the help of the breathing, and you're just aware of whatever life provides to you. But of course, a lot of what life provides you is mind stuff. It has to be. Okay, so now, but what we've seen, it is possible to skillfully minimize sustained attention in so-called choiceless awareness, in other words, choiceless and then secretly, but there's some choosing going on here, uh, to avoid it over a period of years. So what we've done here is we've kind of keeping the mind in the corral, you know, so you can't just run, run loose and make up what you want to watch as much in a way that, that avoids what we need to look at. So, in a sense, you're used, did you use the phrase, word framed? That's a good word for it, I think. Um, but it's not to have, a, be so, per, you know, whatever turns up, that's there. You, do, you don't have to look for, uh, what was it, oh, like uh, ignorance, okay? Ignorance is when we, let's say, attach to something and, and we make something and make self out of it. When we see through it, we don't do that. It's a moment of, of clarity. But let everything just come and go. You don't have to, you don't have to work as hard. Yeah, but you're going in the right direction. Yeah, good. Please. Please. When you say identifiable, what do you mean? Do you mean we have to name it? What took up more space? Mm -hmm. More of a what? Okay, let's, let's move slowly. Don't forget where you're going. Okay, uh, clear seeing uh, is also seeing the quality of how we see. And so if you see that you're seeing and something is setting the mind tone, however you put it, 
then it isn't clear seeing anymore. Suddenly there's some coloration come in there. But you, it, that in itself can be seen. And that's, in, that's a large way in which seeing gets refined, refined, until it's a clear mirror, where there, there's no uh, interpretation, there's no agenda, there's nothing next. Uh, it's not a means to any end. Uh, it's not trying to, it's not for any purposes but the seeing. And that's what's most, most valuable. Physical or emotional, or both, okay? What does it mean to be doing okay? If you wish, sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Too much thinking. Um, let's stay with your your weather um, metaphor or whatever. Uh, today is, you're right, it's a clear day. Okay, the mind is very much like weather conditions. Uh, uh, and what, we're, uh, what we get caught up in a lot are the clouds, moods. Okay, first off, I think if I got some of the sense of your question, I'm not sure I did it. If I didn't, you know, please clarify it. Um, what I heard you saying is you're describing the landscape of the mind. Yeah, thoughts are different than feelings. Um, move, everything you're saying is familiar to me. And, but it's not that we have to catalog them, categorize them, uh, know this is this and that. It's more, can you just be with it and let it go, let it go, because that's the mind empties out. It's not that we have, there are methods where you make a note of it. That's a method. Eventually you let go of the note. The important thing is that helps you see and let go. It's not that you have to have a name for everything. It's not that you have to figure out all these different things. And uh, let's say thoughts, let's say an, an emotion, a powerful emotion, it can be there for a while and it feels, it's much, it feels much more tangible, palpable, and mm. And thoughts are little, uh, empty little homeless little creatures that kind of come from nowhere, go to nowhere. They're secreted by the brain endlessly, blah, 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 blah. And, um, if you identify with one, then you give it power, and then you have to work your way out of what it makes you in collaboration with it. But on its own, thoughts are just thoughts. Okay? And 
a, a number of questions were, well, then I can't be mindful of thought because the thought comes up and then I'm mindful of it and it just falls apart. Have you had that experience? If not, you will. Yes. What is that? It, that's a, a teaching there. The thoughts aren't all that substantial. Seeing energy, remember, mindfulness is energy. Seeing energy touches a thought. You know, the sentence never finishes. And then I think I will. Okay, and that's troubling to, to the logical mind. Well, wait a minute. I don't know what that full sentence was. Uh, you know, I have to go back. What? You know, no, let it go. Good riddance. It's okay. You see what I'm getting? Uh, and sometimes things are happening so fast, even moods, you know. Fine, it's not that you have to catch it and look at it, and you know, uh, like a, a butterfly specimen, you know. It's just, don't be attached to anything. Watch it, enjoy the show. It's all coming and going. In order to do that, gradually, and to see, for example, uh, impermanence, that we'll use that as one example of insight, insight uh, the mind has to start letting go of its preoccupation with content and start to become more interested in, in process. And it's not easy to do at first, because we're mainly interested in content. A process is seeing that independent of what, what the content is, it all arises, passes away, and it's empty. It's not solid. Okay. Now, to begin with, we can't, it's not a matter of intelligence or motivation. Uh, someone's, well, just watch your mind, watch all those clouds come and go, come and go, come and go. But the clouds come and they're so, we're so fixated on them that we make them into something. Okay? It means we, the, and it, sometimes it takes quite a while of spending time with the clouds until you realize you don't have to categorize all these clouds. And you can see what, that, what they have in common is they come and they go. Now, as you get to do that, that's the letting go. It starts happening easily, naturally, and it's a joy. And that takes you to the clear blue sky and the sunshine. How's that for poetry? <laughs> Pretty corny, but what can I do? There are a few real poets here. Uh, but do you see what I'm getting at? But uh, is there a question still in your mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course I do. It's my job to have, know everything. Um, First off, in terms of the, we've been talking Corrado, remember the first evening's talk, Corrado, I feel, set the tone for all of this with the, uh, the, uh, the Buddha and Rahula, their exchange. When something that you think is going to be skillful, with the be- let's say your mind was confused, I'm using your language, nothing personal, uh, and you did the best you could, and then uh, you look back and you realize, it, wow, you know, we know that, everyone in this hall knows it, I'm sure. Uh, but you did something. You set the, something in motion. Okay. Uh, step number one is if you feel a bit of remorse, uh, what did you feel? Did you feel... Yes. Okay. Let's save the second one. The first one is, let's just call that remorse or in that. In other words, uh, so it's okay, even shame is a word that's used, but it's a di- used rather differently by the Buddha. It's not, uh, sh- you know, uh, uh, flagellating yourself. Uh, what it is, is uh, you, see, you made a mistake in life. You didn't live skillfully, and you feel the impact of that. 
and use that in the service of learning. Or as uh, reflect, pause, oh, make the connection so that maybe in some small way it contributes to your re-education. You see? Okay, but now you, you have to live with what you made your bed, now you have to sleep in it, right? Okay. That's no different than, let's say, for all of us, uh, you know, the world as it is, this is really the world we live in. It's imperfect. It's hard. People don't, don't behave the way we want them to. We don't behave the way we think we should, etc. Okay, now, when you return, it's hard because it's abstract. I, you know, you're not giving me much to work with, but it's okay. I don't need to pry. Well, I'll tell you, if I, let's see what happens. If, it's, if my answer is inadequate, maybe. Um, you come back to the situation. Sometimes, for example, uh, one of my teachers, Vimla Takar, and she demonstrated it. Uh, an Indian woman who I learned a great, I still, we've been, I've learned from her for the last, I don't know, 25 or more years. She lives in India, mainly through the mail now. And what she would say is, like, if you make a mistake, then uh, let's say apologize, even if it's in the middle of a conversation, or go back the next day. I've done that with certain students. It happened here with one student. I didn't, you know, I, was, I went over the edge in one of my wise guy moods. And uh, I've done it before. It's, it's not humiliating. It's, um, what's the big deal? I was wrong. I tried it out on Corrado. He agreed. I went over the edge. <laughs> and after I uh, dealt with my humiliation and degradation, I apologized. Okay, now maybe this isn't quite what you... No, I understand. But when you come back... Can you, ex- can, you, can you extricate for yourself from it through the way in which you... Sp- is it include a p- particular person? Um, well, I, I took on a project that um, I think really contributed to my understanding of the world. There's something... There's a little, little kernel of possible wisdom here. Start trusting yourself more. You're stuck with it. Okay, here's what I need to know, and I think I know it. Like, you're going to do it, it sounds like. No, you don't. Uh, people renege on what they do, but you, are you. In other words, here's why I'm asking. It's not. I'm not making an ethical thing out of it. That's for you to decide. It's like if you decide you're going to do it, then then you have to come to terms with that and accept it. Understand? Like this isn't the greatest. I committed myself. Look, all right. Are you doing everything you want? Is everything totally the way you want it to be? Your work situation. Look, do you think you think we always like hearing what you guys have to tell us? <laughs> How many more stories can you hear? You know, like uh, Jack Cornfield, uh, he spoke for all of us. I don't, I'm not as uh, gutsy as Jack Cornfield. At the end of one retreat, during the go-around, I don't, this is what I, I, I'll, I'll see Jack soon and I'll check with him, but I was told on, uh, very reliably. Uh, and then, it, you know, the people after a, a retreat just like, and he said, you know, I, I'd like to say something. 
and I think I'm speaking on behalf of all the Vipassana teachers, we have no interest whatsoever in your story. <laughs> and I went, Yahoo! <laughs> but we got to look interested. <laughs> Uh-huh, he said, uh, he did do it. Oh, she, uh, no kidding. <laughs> I, I'm, don't worry, okay. <laughs> we're, we're finished here. We'll have to go to Omega now, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, if you decide to do it, you've decided to do it, let's say for the moment, then you have to get comfortable with the fact that this is the situation that you're in and how to uh, live creatively, so that you aren't sort of one part of you not fully accepting what you did, still resenting it, and kind of you're driving, but you have part of your feet on the brakes. You know what I'm trying to get? You have to understand, okay, uh, this is actually what my world will be for the next few months. I won't be able to sit as much or whatever it is. Uh, that's only if you decide to do it. And if you decide to do it externally, then come to terms with that internally that you really have and see if you can find a way to reinvent it, you know, to look at it so that it isn't just drudgery, going through life, hating it, and all the rest of it. And, I, you know, I think very often you can reframe it. I like that phrase. You can reframe it so that, uh, because these are real moments in your life that await you. See what I'm getting at? If you decide not to do it, it can be messy, but people do do that. Uh, but it sounds like you've decided to do it. Yeah. Uh, last one, and then we have... Please. Uh, two. No, we'll have two. Okay, go ahead. Say something about lying. Yeah. First of all, get a clothespin because you, when you snore, it bothers everyone else. There's no trick to it. That I know. Okay. I have you. I understand your question now. I think um, walking. Do you know there are endless ways to do walking meditation? We we know a few of them, and one of them is just to walk and to see what's there. When I do walking meditation, it's all I do. I don't have a particular object. But it often helps to begin with to narrow it down, like your feet or the breath. Or, uh, but I just walk and I see what's there, even if it's I'm doing form, more formal walking. Okay. Uh, but that's fruitful for me. You, I don't mean that that's necessarily advanced. It's natural. Uh, what I like about it, it transfers to daily life. It, it's no different. Uh, walking meditation can also be highly specific, like just w- feel the soles of your feet, etc. And, and lying down is the same thing. You can the full range of practice. You can do free attention. You can watch the mind. You can w- follow the breath wherever you want to. You can uh, sweep through the body if you've been trained in the Goenka way. Um, so there are any number of ways. It's still it's a person lying there, and the same practice instructions obtain. You see what I'm getting at? Now, but you have to. F- Yeah, whatever keeps you from snoring. I'm serious, because some of you, you meant well, 
and you don't know you're snoring, but you fall asleep, and so I, because then we have to get all these notes about, could you say something about, um, find what, 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 you have to experiment with it. I, I, I don't, can't give you a magic one. A good one for a lot of people is just the breathing. You know, just, uh, I personally go to sleep with the breath. No, no, at night. It, it, it's interesting. Breath awareness works to keep you awake, but it also it's uh, kind of magical. It can also help you fall asleep. Wait, what's your intention? If you're lying in your bed, pulling the covers over, turning the lights out, you know that's a little different than, uh, let's say, lying in the uh, corpse, the uh, you know shava, uh, the corpse posture, and you know that what you're about to do is to stay awake only with your body this way. So it's very important to understand what you've set for yourself to do. I know I'm going to sleep. That's why it's easy to go to sleep. Does that make any sense? There's a little button there. You want me to tell you what to do? Follow the breath. It's the very best method there is. The Buddha attained awakening following the breathing. Uh, I, in all my years of practice, been, you know, in all the different Asian countries and monasteries, I have, it's the su- superlative method. It's the only way, the onlyest way. <laughs> Good. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.